day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. Every year from September 15th to October 15th, the nation celebrates and recognizes Hispanic Heritage Month. So now this year, as Americans begin the annual celebration of Latino history, culture, and achievements, I think it's really important that we spend a little time peeling back the layers, however well-intended they may be, and ask why we think it's okay to lump together roughly 62 million people with complex identities under a single umbrella. Hispanic Heritage Month. It's not Latino Heritage Month. It's not Latinx Heritage Month. Not even some kind of compromise or combination of the three. That's where I want to begin today, taking a critical look at this designation, the history and evolution of it, and what narratives and issues need to be raised as we celebrate this incredibly diverse segment of the U.S. population. I've got two people who know this subject inside and out ready to join me to take a closer look. Maria Inahosa is an Emmy Award-winning journalist, news anchor, and author of the book, Once I Was You, a memoir of love and hate in torn America, which is now out in paperback. She's also the host of Latino USA, which you hear right here on WDET Saturday mornings at 7 and Wednesday nights at 10. Maria, as always, it is great to have you here. Welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning, Detroit. Good morning, my dear friend, Stephen. What's up, what's up, what's up? All the way from Harlem, USA. Much love, much love. And Michael Rodriguez uh, Muniz uh, is assistant professor of sociology and Latina Latino studies at the Weinberg College of Arts and Sciences at Northwestern University. He is the author of a book called Figures of the Future, Latino Civil Rights and the Politics of Demographic Change, which was released in July. Mike, Michael, welcome to Detroit Today. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Stephen. Um, I'm talking from Humble Park, Chicago. Excellent. So I want to start at the very beginning, back in 1968, when Hispanic Heritage Month initially began as a week-long celebration under President Lyndon Johnson, who at the time said... The people of Hispanic descent are the heirs of missionaries, captains, soldiers, and farmers who were motivated by a young spirit of adventure and a desire to settle freely in a free land. Uh, what do you both make of that sentiment some 53 years later? Uh, Maria, I'll start with you. You know, I, <clears throat> as I heard that, I feel like I need to hear the clippity-clop of the horses. <clears throat> you know, click, 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 click. And they are a happy people, and they are a, a, a grateful people, and they are a humble people. And I'm just like, whoa, that's so... Um, I had not heard those words in a long time. Um, I think I remember hearing them once many, many, many years ago. But I think that it, it kind of furthers this, like, um, we are the other and we we came here. <clears throat> In some cases, that's true. If you remember and you look at the history of the United States, you realize that half of the United States, more or less, was Mexico mm -hmm. before 1848. So <clears throat> the, we did not cross the border, as we say. Uh, the border crossed us. 
So, so on the one hand, you know, it is, it is recognizing who we are. There's nothing false in that statement, but it's also just kind of saying, and isn't it nice that they keep on coming and because they can keep on coming, that means we can decide when they need to stop coming or when we've had enough Hmm. or if they weren't born here, when we can deport enough of them to make us feel comfortable. And I'm thinking right now, and I'll end here about, you know, we were together in Detroit just before the shutdown. Right. Remember? Yes. It was February, February of 2020. I think it was end of February, if not beginning of March. Mm -hmm. And while I was there doing some reporting, Stephen, I, I, I mean, I just met so many people with Mexican roots in the city of Detroit and its surroundings who were talking about their family members being deported from Detroit, Mm -hmm. Mexican and Mexican-American U.S. citizens deported from Detroit in the year 1930, 31, almost 100 years ago. So... You know, I, it's great that we celebrate, but the reality is that estamos cansados. We are tired of this treatment that in many ways is rooted in that statement of mm. yeah, I, they're that, nice people. That's a really, really interesting take on, on what uh, President Johnson was saying there. And I think most uh, Caucasian Americans would not necessarily draw all of uh, all of those nuances out of out of what he was saying, uh, Michael Rodriguez Muniz. I wonder what you make of what President Johnson was saying back in 1968. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a interesting um, set of set of phrases and descriptions of of this population, you know. But I think, as with many of the kinds of um, statements that that people that are officially made about this population, I think it says something about uh, the country itself, right? Um, so there is, you know, this is the context in which, of course, this is in the middle of the, the, you know, during the civil rights era. This is a few years after the Bracero program had ended. Um, there's obviously Puerto Rico, a U.S. colony, the treatment that Maria was mentioning. Um, and so there's also, you know, a way that it, it says something about um, the U.S. sort of denying it's sort of longstanding interventions in in the Americas and all of these things. So I think it, it says something more, less about the population being spoken about mm-hmm. than uh, a particular way of curating uh, how uh, the U.S. imagines itself mm-hmm. or Johnson imagined the U.S. Yeah, yeah. So I do want to get into the history of why we use the word Hispanic. Uh, some research, researchers have found the use of that umbrella categorization is uh, inextricably linked to the U.S. Census and its attempts to identify and quantify different groups of people. But it's a word that you don't hear a lot of people using today. In in 2021, we, we use the word Latino far more commonly uh, or Latinx. Uh, and I want to talk about the evolution of those things and whether we ought to be thinking about whether something called Hispanic Heritage Month uh, in, inexorably is tied to the, the complications that both of you talked about with the inception of this, of this celebration 53 years ago. Is it time to move on from that kind of descriptor, Maria? Well, I mean, I, I 
I actually never took on um, the term Hispanic. Mm -hmm. So I was alive when I, I didn't realize that Hispanic Heritage Month had actually been declared by Lyndon Johnson back then. I was alive then. <laughs> I was a Mexican kid growing up on the south side of Chicago, and I was Mexican and proud Mexican um, and still am. Um, here's the thing, Hispanic, and, and I understood this once I got to college and I, you know, studied actually Latin American studies, um, you know, Hispanic is a term that comes from and understands its relationship, people's relationship to Spain, to the speaking of Spanish. It is a direct acknowledgement to the este madre patria, as you as as we would say in Spanish, which is you know madre patria, you know the 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 the, the where it all began, mm -hmm. Spain. Um, but it 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 didn't all begin in Spain. Because in Latin America, in Mexico, we understand that what happened was a conquest, that it was bloody. It was not, as the history is told here, pilgrims and suddenly Thanksgiving and everything is great. No, no. And so you cannot say Hispanic without saying, but what about the indigenous part of myself that didn't speak Spanish, never spoke Spanish? was Spanish was imposed. What about the African roots that one point there were more black people in Mexico than there were in the, what is the United States? I'm talking in these weird geographical terms, but mm -hmm. for all intents and purposes. So that's where the term Latino, Latina, which again, it's not, it's imperfect. You know, I mean, I have a show called Latino USA, so it's Latino USA. It's not Latinx USA. Um, and we can talk about that uh, and why people continue to use that term or others. Um, and even and even in the black community, you know, there's my daughter corrected me. I said African American. She said black mom, and I was like, okay, what? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> so. There's a you know constant evolving in conversation. I think the the question is in um, in a big historical term, right? Which is, well, who gets to decide? And in this case, it was Lyndon Johnson looking down at us and saying, "Welcome." And that's where I'm just like, but we have always been here. Latinos and Latinas have fought in every single war on this land in one way or another. Mm. And, and, and actually to take it really way back and we don't learn this in the history books. Um, and this is okay to understand the roots of Spain. Actually the indigenous languages that were spoken here first, right? Multiple languages, but the first other language that we know of that arrives is from Spain in St. Augustine before Jamestown. So the second settlement is in New Mexico, Santa Fe. Mm -hmm. So the language that was spoken here in the United States after the indigenous languages was Spanish and then English. Now, for that reason, it's interesting to kind of relate that and say, wow, that's a really fascinating piece of history. But again, when you only say Hispanic, you are denying your indigenous roots and your African roots. And many of us are saying, hello, we want to recognize the complexity of it all. And that and that's important. Even though Latino and Latina may not do it, it ten, it lends itself more, in my view, to understanding a little bit more of the historical complexity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael, is the term his, Hispanic outdated or offensive or just too simple a word to describe such a large and diverse population today? Yeah, I mean, I, I, maybe similar to. Maria, I mean, I never called myself Hispanic, right? That growing up, I understood myself uh, as Puerto Rican. That was the first 
And then later on, at some point, probably in college, I started organizing and thinking in terms of the category Latino, which was the category in fashion um, at the time. And, you know, I think, so a couple of things that I think are are worth keeping in mind. One is that even to today, um, even though on college campuses and younger generations sort of favor Latinx or Latino, Latina, um, you know, most of the data that we have available is that the majority, you know, Hispanic is still uh, more favored among this population. If we look at like Pew data and things like that, um, and of course, there's signs of changing. They're still favoring uh, most favor kind of like ethnic national definitions like Cuban or Mexican. Um, so it's important, you know, I think in the conversation that there is uh, millions of folks for whom Hispanic um, is a useful category or it captures something about their identity. Now, of course, what that means and what people understand by Hispanic across that those millions is, of course, debatable and something that needs to be uh, continually studied. But I did want to sort of mention historically, I think going back to the Johnson situation, I mean, Hispanic Heritage Week, which it began, was not just uh, you know something Johnson sort of thought of, but in fact was you know something that um, Congressman uh, Roy Ball from California, Mexican American, advocated. But his rationale for um, Hispanic Heritage Week, which 20 years later would then become Hispanic Heritage Month, was very different from what the description that Johnson would give, um, which had less to do with sort of culture, but as part of a project of raising uh, recognition, visibility to uh, Mexican-Americans and other quote-unquote Spanish-speaking populations in the U.S. So there was a a political um, sort of equity sort of drive behind Hispanic Heritage Month, whatever we might think of the categories that were used, um, that were part of the sort of the, the context in which um, this kind of commemoration came to be. Hmm. So what I hear, I think I hear both of you saying is that the overarching issue or the overarching question is when will people of Latino descent be able to define themselves rather than having the president of the United States or the majority culture in the United States define them for them. Is that is that a, a fair characterization, Maria? Yeah, I mean, I think, <clears throat> you know, of my course, experience... That's, that's really familiar for African-Americans and lots of other people in the culture as well. Of Claro, claro. So, you know, if you think that, you know, as I write in once I was you, like there was a lot of invisibility, right? I mean, I was, I was okay, but there was a sense of invisibility in Chicago. The Mexican barrio was over here. We would go, of course, we would be between Hyde Park and Pilsen. And then we were in Mexico, but traveling by car, it was a lot of fun every year. Um, But, you know, essentially it was like we were invisible. We weren't in the news. There were no Latino. I mean, the first Latino Latina that I see is you know, West Side Story, no journalists. Um, So if you think about like that kind of invisibility, but we were okay, we were not a threat. What happens, what's happened in the last couple of decades and really intensified um, over the last administration, beginning with the campaign of Donald Trump, is that now Latinos and Latinas, there is a narrative created about us 
that is in this, in essence false, mm-hmm. but it is being promoted at the highest levels. It is, you know, repeated on the mainstream media over and over. Um, and it is a narrative that now has taken root. <clears throat> and that narrative is essentially, oh, Latinos and Latinas, are they really from here? God, they keep on coming. Man, they're always jumping that fence and they're all gang members and they're da, 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 and it's just like, you know, the whole thing. I'm not going to repeat it. Um, in fact, that is not true. The narrative is, in fact, that Latinos and Latinas are the second largest voting bloc in the United States. We are the second largest cohort population. We're not a race, right? Mm-hmm. But ethnically, we are, if, if our gross domestic product was to be measured, it would be this one, the seventh or eighth largest in the world competing with uh, India and France. Uh, Latina consumers uh, between the ages of 18 till you know to, to to 50 are the most sought after consumers because we over index in terms of black women and white women we decide more what is consumed in our house and we are brand loyal we will buy that paper towel that my mother bought my mother bought since forever so we are actually economic powerhouses Hmm. the housing market is being uh, propped up by latino and latina purchasing right now even in the midst of being deported of being you know separated of being insulted targeted we are actually you know investing in this country and yet and yet in the halls of congress you know, we cannot get immigration reform passed. And people, and here's my final statement. It's like, you think immigration reform is only for the immigrants? Well, the immigrants who are here with or without papers, they're staying. This is their home. They will stay. And and that, and it may be a very sad story. But the thing is, is that as soon as you regularize, i.e. make them all a path to citizenship quickly, that is going to boost the American economy and your personal economy. Everybody who's listening, the images that they, we are a threat economically, no. The truth is, documented by UCLA and many other economists, is that Latinos and Latinas and immigrants will be an, a, a net win for the American economy. So what are we waiting for? Mm-hmm. It, and, that, and, it's, and, and sadly, we have to go back to racism. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue this conversation about Hispanic Heritage Month and the issues uh, that arise from that name, from that celebration. And 53 years after it was announced, where we should be in terms of celebrating the presence of Latinos here in the United States. We want to hear from you as well. Are you Latino, Latinx? Or do you describe yourself as Hispanic? How do you feel about Hispanic Heritage Month? Does it serve an important purpose in bringing awareness to important cultures and issues and stories? Or do you find it to be kind of a reductive celebration or a retroactive kind of term? Of course, we want to hear from folks in our community about how you acknowledge or react to Hispanic Heritage Month. 313-577-1019 is always the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter, put comments there, and we'll include you in the conversation that way. We're going to raise a little money, and then we'll be back with more Detroit Today.
You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. My guests today are Maria Inahosa, an Emmy Award-winning journalist, news anchor, and author of the book, Once I Was You, a memoir of love and hate in a torn America, which is now out in paperback. She is also the host of the wonderful show, Latino USA, which is heard right here on WDET on Saturday mornings at 7 and on Wednesday nights at 10. We've also got Michael Rodriguez Muñiz with us. Uh, he's assistant professor of uh, sociology and Latina Latino studies at the Weinberg College of Arts and Sciences at Northwestern University. He is also the author of a book. It's called Figures of the Future, Latino Civil Rights and the Politics of Demographic Change. We're talking about the big the beginning and I guess the sort of the middle at this point of Hispanic Heritage Month, month, which runs from September 15th through October 15th. It was started in 1968 by President Lyndon Johnson. We're talking about what that celebration looks like, what it feels like in uh, 2021. Uh, does the word Hispanic even make a lot of sense to be using to describe 62 million Americans uh, right now who, many of whom, I would say, probably identify quite differently than with that general term. Uh, Also, what does it mean to be a member of that community today? Uh, Think of the things that we argue about in this country, about who's an American and who's not, who deserves to be or become an American and who does not. We want to hear from you about how you feel about all of those issues. The word Hispanic, the idea of Hispanic Heritage Month, the idea of uh, whether we ought to be using that word in 2021 to describe uh, Americans. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Let's start with Max in Allen Park. Max, what's on your mind? Hey. Hi, Max. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, hi. Hi. How are you doing? Well, listen, you know, I've been listening to this conversation about Latino, Latinx, Hispanic. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm 100% Mexican. Both sides of my family are, so when I identify, I identify as Mexican, nothing else. You know, as further, I'll say I'm an American, right? Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, people ask me what I am. I say, well, I'm Mexican. And they say, well, where were you born? I always say greater Mexico. <laughs> you know, <laughs> people don't understand history. And when faced with it, you should see their reaction. <laughs> uh. So, Max, d- d- tell me about the the word Hispanic and what, I guess, what it means to you and whether, whether you, you feel like that's an appropriate descriptor for your community in 2021? I think it's an attempt to define us. And uh, I, I, I don't think that it's, that it's, uh, it comes with bad intention, mm-hmm. but it's certainly not adequate. Yeah. Yeah. Max, I really appreciate the call uh, and the perspective there. Uh, let's go to Kathleen in Rochester Hills. Kathleen, what's on your mind? Good morning. I think bridging each other's differences matters and following our constitutional laws from the start has made us strong. 
understanding differences or seeking to understand differences and intent behind comments is probably a big key. We're all immigrants at some level from all over the world. We're such a young country, and other countries have shown they've done it better. And of course, others have shown they've done it worse. Mm. Uh, I think following laws and making people accountable to our Constitution again. Mm. So, uh, Kathleen, I really appreciate I really appreciate the call and the and the the comments. I I wonder if you can talk specifically about something like Hispanic Heritage Month. Actually, uh, Kathleen hung up, so she was done with her thoughts. <laughs> uh, Maria and Michael, I'll give you a chance to react to the what we heard from from the callers. Michael, uh, what 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 do you draw out of all, all of that? Idea that, that that a single category. I mean, think of the the, the big ethno-racial categories: black, white, uh, Latino, Hispanic. We ask a lot of work of these categories to capture a ton of diversity, right? Um, and so, of course, they're going to be lacking. There's always the problem of homogenizing. Um, but one sense with the the category Hispanic, and to some extent Latino, Latina, but to a lesser extent is the sense that these categories are more or less exclusively imposed um, from, you know, the government and things like that. But their genesis, as we we can see from the work of, of scholars like Cristina Mora and others, uh, shows a more complicated story of actually advocates and activists that, you know, pursued forms of ca- categorization, sort of broad labels, as part of political projects to address uh, inequality, exclusion, and visibility, and the like. Um, but certainly at the level of sort of individual identity, uh, they can be felt at times very wanting, mm. problematic for the kind of exclusion that they often rely on. Um, but, but I think sort of keeping in mind both the kind of complicated historical genesis is really important, but also uh, keeping in mind that how these labels are officially defined can, very, can, can actually be quite distinct from the kind of meanings uh, that people ascribe to them in everyday context. Hmm. Yeah, Maria. I, I like Mike's laughter. Um, I think he was kind of like I, I, you know, I I can tell people that I'm Mexican and see how they react. And I <laughs> and I was like, you know, what do Mike and I share, right? Like, what do we share when we talk about this Latino community? I'm like, well, I don't know, but I think that there's what we share is that there's a there's a sense of like I understand that I have Latino, Latina, Mexican, whatever, Guatemalan, Honduran, Argentinian, Colombian, Puerto Rican, Dominican roots, and I recognize that. And just in and of itself, of saying I want to see it, I I will, I will continue to as it were celebrate it. Of course, we do it every day. Is um, I kind of see that as like the future, right? We we are so different really i mean um and that's okay like we're not we when i say we i'm not threatened by that um although i think that you know much of the mainstream media is a little threatened because it's something that they have a hard time understanding like for example oh my god latinos and latinas voted for donald trump it's like yep yes and there are many latin americans in mexico brazil argentina etc who also are supporters of donald trump so Getting this notion of and your Latinidad is going to save you, you know, it's complicated. Hmm. 
On the other hand, I thought the second caller, it was very interesting that almost immediately there was, and as, as long as you respect laws, and I'm like, wow. So that's part of what I'm saying, that there is, um, when, when people think of Latinos and Latinas and this conversation, it's like, well, but are you here legally? Mm-hmm. And are you respecting the laws? And it's like, what? Uh, you know, I'll just leave it with this one data that is real. There is less crime in immigrant communities less crime committed by people not born in this country than by people born in this country. Mm. So just remember that. But the data shows there is less crime in immigrant communities and immigrants are actually less prone to committing violent crimes, crimes that are, you're going to engage in. And at the same time, here's something you want to celebrate. Here's the big headline that I'm sorry I, I held until now because it's kind of like burying the headline, <laughs> Stephen. I'm sorry. That's okay. So... Here it comes, people. (laughs) Get your pens out, okay? This should be a headline that is every day, right? We just got the census. Half, half of the entire population growth of the United States of America is because of Latino and Latina births, Mm. not immigration from Latinos and Latinas. And I say this because, one, I want to celebrate the fact that Latinos and Latinas like getting it on. I think that's great. I think we are saying we have a passion for life. And yes, and celebrating life and making love and and being sensual, that is, in fact, a huge part of celebrating joy and life, which is resistance. But okay, forget all of that. What you need to understand and the entire country needs to understand is what does that actually mean? Mm. This country is increasingly Latino and Latina. And by the way, Afro-Latinos people who look like Stephen Henderson, but speak Spanish and come from Dominican Republic mm-hmm. are are more recognized and becoming more and more visible. So it is not, a, we are, we are in everywhere really. And that I think is the question of, of the day, which is, okay, wow, half of the population growth across the entire United States is from Latinos and Latinas. Now, instead of saying, oh, my God, that's scary. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What happened? No, it should be like, yeah, let's really celebrate that on a daily because that is your future right there. Yes. Uh, Again, thanks, Max and uh, uh, Kathleen for the for the for the calls. I want to go back to the phones here and get Roxana in Detroit into the conversation. Roxana, welcome to the show. Hello. Hi. I, I want to thank you for taking my call and thanks to the speakers for this very interesting topic. So I I came here when I was very young from El Salvador. So I before that, you know, as a child, um, I, I I didn't even know, like, they, when they said the term Hispanic, I'm like, no, I'm Salvadoran. I'm Salvadoreña. Mm. But then when I start, as I got older, I'm like, no, okay, okay, I'll be Latina because that, you know, I'm from Latin America. And then when I got to college and I started, you know, learning the origins of the terms and I was like, okay, so because Latino or Latina is more inclusive of other parts of Latin America that that don't speak Spanish, like Brazil and other areas, Mm -hmm. And then, but then now that I'm, you know, uh, I teach at Wayne State, so now that I teach at the university level and Latinx has become, you know, has taken a hold in certain pockets, I'm like, well, Latinx, I identify as Latinx too. So the way I see identity more is this sort of um, changing or more fluid, Mm. 
um, and also, also like accepting. So I'll tell my students, I'll say, so what do you identify as? I will respect however you identify. This is how I identify and this is why. Um, and then whatever you identify as, I will call you that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea of being more inclusive regardless of uh, how others identify sure. and as well as not homogenizing our entire uh, um, group because we're so different. And, you know, as, as, as someone who comes from a colonized land, uh, who knows what other uh, indigenous groups I belong to, but I don't know, you know, because Spanish was imposed, as Maria, sure. you know, mentioned earlier. And so I don't know my BP, uh, Nahuatl, or Mayan languages. Mm. So, so it's important to perhaps, you know, make that month not just Hispanic, but Hispanic, Latino, Latina, Latinx, etc. Wow. Um, wow. Anyway, thank you. Uh, uh, Roxana, indigenous, really indigenous, Afro-Latinos, um, Right. Just to continue with that thought, which I thought was really, really beautiful. And by the way, if you've never eaten a pupusa, you absolutely should. My favorite food all the time from mm-hmm. El Salvador. But yeah, so it should really be, you know, Hispanic heritage, Latino, Latina, Latinx, um, Afro-Latina, indigenous Latino, Latina, because we, you know, Asian Latinos, there's huge Asian population throughout the Americas. Um, I mean, este Peru had a Japanese Peruvian president. Mm. Um, so, uh, I mean, there is a German population in southern Brazil, um, and they are among the poorest people in Brazil. So you will see white people with blonde hair um, living in very destitute conditions and only speaking Portuguese. Mm. So, and that is, in fact, like this diversity, but um, it, it's hard to get it into one month. Um, but I'm really appreciative of the conversation that you are having, Stephen, because most people don't kind of dive in and deconstruct. And as you can see, your listeners are like, wow, either as Latinos and Latinas are like, wow, this is so cool to be hearing this. That's why they listen to Latino USA. And as for allies, it's like, oh, interesting. I'll, I'll think about that. And I'll look at this community or rather my neighbors, my friends, my coworkers, that's what I'm trying to say. We are not a community that is distant from you. We are you. Yeah. My God, it sounds like the name of a book. Once I was you. <laughs> I was you, right? I've heard that title somewhere. I'm not sure where. Uh, Roxana, again, thanks so much for the call and the comments. Kathleen from Rochester Hills has called back and wants to expand a little on the comments she made earlier. Kathleen, welcome back to the Thank show. You. Go ahead. Thank you. Yes, my interpretation at the, or my comment at the beginning about just following the laws was meant for all people that reside or work among each other in the U.S. Um, we all deserve a chance. I mean, our immigrants have really brought up uh, most of this country's infrastructure and economy base and well-needed. And, um, and yes, I delight in the differences of Latino, their passion for life. Mm. Um, mm. I can't imagine a world without differences. How boring to look at people or be people this, you know, that are the same. <laughs> sure, sure. Kathleen, I'm glad. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm glad you called back. And, and me too, me too. Thank you, expanded. Kathleen. Thank you. I, I do, before we have to end the show, I do want to talk about what is going on along the Texas border right now 
with uh, some Haitian migrants. Uh, and, of course, Haitians are, by some definitions, Latino, but most, I think, uh, would identify culturally as uh, as of African descent more than, than Latino descent. Uh, but, but the reaction to their desire to come to this country reminds, I think, of the things that we see with other Latino uh, aspirants, people who, who are trying to just be Americans. And the things that we've seen, the images that I've seen over the last week, I think there's a combination of anger uh, and sadness that I have about where we are with the whole idea of welcoming people to this country. Michael, I'll start with you reacting to what we saw. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I think uh, it, it, it reveals for me, I mean, on, on the one hand, I think um, def- certainly this hemisphere, if not the globe, um, owes, you know, the world to Haiti. You know, if you if you think of Latin American history and the mm. anti-colonial movements in the 19th century, the role of Haiti being that place that supported those movements. Um, and so I always think back to... Haiti and its sort of profound importance to the Americas, uh, even though, as you mentioned, we tend to exclude Haiti from conversations about Latinidad, mm-hmm. um, which which is, is entirely a problem um, and, and diminishes a great deal um, uh, from the conversation and from our understandings. It also tells me that in a contemporary moment, also like in the case of Latin American migration, back to like the, the way that Lyndon Johnson sort of described it, it's also the erasure of empire, right? And so that we don't understand Haitian migration to the U.S. within the context of U.S. intervention. Um, and, and, and similarly, we tend not to, or we often forget or um, bypass the fact of U.S. intervention in the Americas as being, uh, you know, the, the motor behind much of the migration that we have seen over the past several decades. Mm. Um, so those yeah. are a couple of things that I think of in relation to, to this moment. And, and, and lastly, just hoping for um, ever greater uh, acts of solidarity sure. and support for our Haitian brothers and sisters. Yeah. Uh, Maria, I've only got about a minute left, but I definitely want to hear how you're reacting. Yeah, this has this. been, this has been a devastating time, you know, um, <clears throat> just devastating. These are, these images were caught on camera and and this doesn't mean this is the first time those whips have been used on men on horseback to chase down human beings along the border um as much as putting up a brick wall mm-hmm. um is 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 being used uh, so you know to me there's a spanish mexican spanish that says no hay mal que por bien no venga there's no bad from which good cannot come you saw Black Lives Matter activists down at the border on force. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have seen people making the connections very clearly. Uh, one, we don't know about who's being held in such in detention camps because we cannot get in. So when we see these images, we have to act. And I would like to second Michael's um, final thought, which is acts of solidarity. Mm-hmm. That's really where we're left right now in this country. And finally, two things. Never, I don't use the term Hispanic, but I also never use the term illegal hmm. to refer to a mm-hmm. human being. Mm-hmm. And in all of my reporting, Stephen, there's another word we don't use, and that's minority. 
because I don't see myself as a minority. I don't believe that that's how I move in the world, nor how my children or my staff move in the world. Um, so um, I, I just want to say thank you again. And, and for people out there, make the connections. Make the connections. If, if mass incarceration is going to slow down, mass detention and immigration deportation will increase. And it will be on the backs of Black and Brown and Asian men and women. We have to open our eyes. Yeah. Okay, Maria Inahosa and Michael Rodriguez Muniz. Uh, great to have both of you here for this uh, conversation. Really wonderful uh, and wide ranging talk about this. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on Detroit today. Thank, thank you, Stephen. Love you, Detroit. <laughs> okay, that is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow for a conversation with Eddie Gloud the chair of Princeton University's African-American Studies Department. We are going to have a really deep conversation about the current impasse between moderates and progressives in the Democratic Party, as well as the collapse of efforts to pass the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. We'll talk again tomorrow.